Hi there, and welcome back to Health Bite, the podcast dedicated to providing you with small, actionable bites towards better mental, emotional, and physical well being. I'm your host, Dr. Adrian. Welcome back. And I am so happy to have you here this last month of May. May, of course, as we've been talking about, is Mental Health Awareness Month. And we're wrapping up this month with a very special guest, Dr. Hengame Makarafte. She is a adjunct professor of psychology at Pepperdine University. She is also CEO of Vitamood. We're so happy to have you. Welcome, Dr. H. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here with you today. My pleasure. So you are in the trenches, seeing patients and educating trainees. And so first off, I just want you to share with us, what are you seeing these days? What are you seeing in your clinical practice? So a lot of what we're seeing is an increase in anxiety and depression with anxiety, specifically an increase in health anxiety is something that I've personally noticed and an increase in anxiety around socializing, socializing with peers, friends, going on dates, not really knowing how to approach people. So, so that's, that's definitely something that I've seen an increase in ever since the the COVID era has started. Yeah, that's definitely specific to this era, so to speak. How is that kind of presenting? Do people just report that they're having more anxiety? Are they coming in with symptoms that are attributed to the anxiety that they're not quite sure, you know, where they're coming from? How is, that, really, how, is that, how is that being seen? Depends on the patient. Sometimes people come in and they know exactly what's going on for them. Other times they experience a couple of symptoms or maybe a friend or family member encourages them to come in and see a therapist or a psychologist. But mostly, you know, when someone comes in, we assess, we assess for anxiety, we assess for depression, we assess for other mental health disorders, diagnoses to really see what's going on. So I feel like sometimes what happens is that they'll come in and they'll tell us a little bit about what's going on, but then we dig deeper to understand, you know, what's the, the root issue. And so what are some of the, cause I think people know the feeling of anxiety or the sense of anxiety in their minds, but what are some of the physical symptoms that people kind of come in with that they may not attribute to their anxiety? Uh, definitely. So rapid heart rate, wetting, sweaty palms, tense muscles, difficulty breathing, not being able to catch the breath. A lot of symptoms actually associated with panic disorder, I notice. And in addition, just which is not physical, but more of like the psychological piece is a lot of rumination, a lot of focusing and obsessing about different things related to health, related to life, but definitely with the physical, it's, it's a lot of the heart rate, the breathing, the sweating, maybe even like tightness in the stomach, feeling of nausea, feeling faint. Sometimes when it's even severe, people have an out of body experience. So it really depends. Yeah. I think the rumination is such an important point to hone in on, because I think that that is like a very human uh, experience, you know, revisiting, right. reliving, but definitely that's a symptom that has been escalated. And so there's like yes. this, there's like this range, right, of the types of pe- symptoms that people can have. 
And I would say that a lot of people maybe don't present to therapy because they feel like, oh, they're ruminating or they're having mild symptoms, but it doesn't warrant therapy or it's not bad enough, which I think is to their detriment. Can you speak to that a little bit? Absolutely. I do think it's to their detriment. I think the more you wait and push off therapy, the more severe your symptoms can become and the more difficult they are to treat. So, you know, as soon as you notice something going on, I think that it's great to actually touch base with a therapist or psychologist. So you can nip it in the bud earlier, get some coping tools to use some strategies, explore what's going on, why the rumination is happening and how you can really address it. I feel like if you don't address it right away, it can escalate and get out of control. And then, and then some of the rumination can actually um, cause the physical symptoms that we were talking about um, and just increase the whole experience that they're having. Yeah. So the point being that you don't have to feel like it's really pathologic or even have a pathology, like a diagnosis or a name to it. Just be feeling kind of out of sorts and know that that's so normal, not only for the pandemic time, which we, I think we'd spent a lot of time talking about, but this kind of post, I don't know that we're really post, but this kind of languishing time period where a lot of those things are still present. People need to know that, that that's okay. The expectation is not that we're done with this and nor are we done with this psychological kind of difficulty that came with it. I agree with you hundred percent. I don't think you don't have to have any psychological difficulty to take care of your mental health, to participate in therapy, whether it's individual therapy, group therapy, couples, family, whatever it is. I think just wanting personal growth, wanting change, maybe a better lifestyle to be focused on wellness I think, you know, that's, that's all you really need in order to engage in therapy. You don't have to have symptoms. You don't have to have a diagnosis. So, so I recommend it for anybody, honestly. It's kind of a luxury, right? Yeah. And so you mentioned earlier coping tools. So what are some of the tools that you would recommend specifically for anxious type symptoms? Sure. So depending on what the anxiety is about how frequency, the intensity, it's going to vary, but a lot of mindfulness exercises, deep breathing exercises are really good and teaching patients to differentiate between breathing in the chest and breathing from the diaphragm. So a lot of mindfulness exercises, deep breathing exercises, specifically diaphragmatic breathing. So differentiating between the breathing of the chest and the breathing through the diaphragm, which is really the way to become relaxed mindfulness throughout the day. So whether it's mindful eating, checking in with your senses, relaxing your body, progressive muscle relaxation is also very helpful for the rumination. We teach techniques such as thought stopping. I use a lot of CBT at my private practice. So that's cognitive behavioral therapy. We work with thoughts, feelings, and actions and how they interrelate with each other. So, so we actually, you know, tackle the, the negative thinking patterns and the rumination and get them to decrease and become more healthy, rational thoughts instead of, you know, anxiety provoking, irrational, fear-based future thoughts. Lately, there's been so much more conversation about mindfulness, about breathing exercises, breathing activities. It's something that you know, I think even five years ago, we weren't talking about so much 10 years ago, certainly we weren't talking about it. And they really are so 
powerful, right? But I also think that even though people know yeah. it, and they hear about it, they have a hard time doing it in the moment, you know, or latching onto right. it. So how do you recommend for someone who kind of knows they've heard it, but hasn't really initiated a practice? What, what sure. kind of things would you recommend on how to get themselves started and in the mindset of doing these things more often? So I think if you are in therapy, starting out with your therapist in the sessions is a really good way. And then you can generalize to your life when you go home um, throughout your week. But I think I think the most important thing to know is to to take small goals, goals like baby steps that you can tackle easily. So something that I notice is people will come in and then say they say that, oh, I want to meditate for an hour tomorrow. And we're like, okay, let's, let's backtrack. How about two minutes or five minutes, you know, something that's doable, um, a goal that's attainable. And then, you know, you'll feel positive reinforcement. You'll feel better about yourself because you're able to do it. So keeping the goals small and attainable and realistic, I think is the most important thing. Yeah. It's such, that's such a good point. Bite size. Like we, like Bite we like size. to say around. Like a health yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There was one tool though, that you mentioned that I hadn't heard about think stopping, thought stopping, thought stopping, right? Talk about that. What is that exactly? So there are different ways that you can engage in thought stopping. Sometimes people find it helpful to have a physical sensation. So I don't know if you've ever seen people with a rubber band and they'll like snap it kind of get themselves to stop thinking. I see. You can, so you can use a physical sensation. You can use a visualization. So if you notice yourself thinking in the pattern that you're trying to avoid, maybe visualizing a red stop sign and, and getting yourself to backtrack a little bit, you can, can think about alternative thoughts. So that's more in line with the CBT where your therapist or psychologist will teach you what alternative thoughts to think about and place. So, so the first step is to be able to recognize the thoughts, then to be able to stop and control them, then you're going to be able to, to change them into healthier thoughts. Yeah. And I was going to say that like awareness is the cornerstone, right? And how often do people start ruminating or start having negative thought processes that they're not even attuned to because it's so much a part of uh, their norm. Like it's just right. it becomes routine and it's routine for all of us uh, to, to engage in negative thoughts, but being able to train yourself to just to notice that moment where it begins or where even where you're engaged in it, but noticing it is the first step to being able to have agency around it. Absolutely. What I notice, like in my private practice with my, my trainees that see patients as well is you'll have some, some individuals that have been in therapy before, and they're a little bit more savvy in terms of picking up what thoughts they're having, the intensity, the frequency of the rumination. So they come in knowing, but then you'll get individuals that have never experienced that before. And so for them, like you're saying, it's a part of their life. They don't even really realize what they're engaging in. So then it becomes our job as psychologists or therapists to help them identify, to help them gain insight into what's going on for them. I like that we started with anxiety because again, I think that's so, well, it shows it's so relevant right now. Your clinical experience is showing that, that that's one of the main things that people are coming in with, but obviously it's top of mind. I think for a lot of people, probably that is second to that is depression and increasing depression. And this, of course, does not stand to replace any medical or psychological treatment or advice, 
But where would you say for people with depression, where they may need to look for help sooner rather than later? What, what are some of the signs? Again, depression is one of those things that we use colloquially, you know, being right. depressed. But when is it something that they need to be attuned to more of a risk factor? Or right. How, how do you know when to come in? How do yeah, you know when to help? Yeah. So I think some things to look to are your mood. So a decrease in your mood, how sad you feel, feeling, fe- feeling a general sense of sadness, feeling down, not feeling happy. Um, but, but I mean, people feel that, right? It's normal to have a range of emotions and they change from day to day. Second to second. Right. And it's minute, second <laughs> to second, right? Is this going on for a week, right? Is it, is it every day? where you're feeling this way? Is it to the point where you don't want to really get out of bed? You don't have energy to, you know, execute the things that you had planned for yourself throughout the day. Um, You lose interest in things that used to excite you. So, you know, for example, if you really enjoyed going to your exercise class and, you know, you're feeling so depressed that you just don't want to go, or you don't want to go out with your friends for a coffee to socialize, really losing interest, losing pleasure in things that you once found pleasurable. And then also the change in the mood. Some other things to look out for are changes in sleep. So either an increase or a decrease in the quality and quantity of sleep. And then also with eating as well, um, your appetite changes. So I think those are the four of the biggest things to look for. Of course, when depression is very severe, you might even have suicidal thoughts, ideations. And and I definitely recommend for someone to get help immediately if they're experiencing right. those. That's where we cross to like an, an emergency. An right, an emergency. Exactly. But I think in terms of, to your point, a lot of these symptoms are, you know, feeling gloomy, feeling sad, not having interest. These things may arise from time to time, but it's the persistence of symptoms once they interfere or the degree to which they interfere with your quality of life, as well as like disengagement, right? Like not wanting to engage in people or things that you used to take joy in. Right, right, exactly. And, and what you really see is when individuals have these symptoms, it will start affecting their work life, it'll start affecting their family life, their social life. So it's really, really important to get the help. So it it doesn't start to affect your, your whole life. What can you say about substance use or substance abuse? Because definitely there's data um, and also just anecdotal experience that that's on the rise. What are you seeing in there? You know, since we were talking about the COVID era as well, definitely an increase in substance use during COVID. And I don't know if it's ended or not, but but still, you know, it's going on. I, I feel like people have used substances as a way to cope with the isolation that we've all experienced, to cope with the anxiety, to cope with the depression. And I think that it exacerbates other things that might be going on. And, and really, when you start with the substance use and it starts to take hold of you, it's kind of difficult to let go. So definitely, that's something of concern as well. Yeah. And I think another barrier, and we talked about this a few episodes ago, I talked about alcohol use and the effects of alcohol, the sedating effects, as well as the stimulating or anxiety provoking effects. One of the impediments in our society is the way we think about alcohol. There's this like dichotomy versus in terms of 
people who are like sophisticated drinkers who can handle their alcohol versus people who are alcoholics who are, you know, right. drinking scotch for breakfast. And really the majority of people are somewhere in between. And so sure. it's really encouraging people to look at their use um, without labeling, you know, taking all the labels away. We don't need to have a label of, of alcoholic or what have you in order to just be curious about how we're using substances. Right. And I think curiosity is really key. Um, you know, when we look at substance use, we want to understand why is it happening? So is it happening to cope with the anxiety? Is it happening to cope with depression? Is it happening to cope with isolation? Or are you out having a social drink with a friend? You know, those are two very different scenarios. Um, and so in order to treat something like substance use, you really have to understand why it's happening. How often is it happening? How is it affecting your quality of life? Is it turning into a full-blown addiction, you know, or maybe even binge drinking? You're not waking up every morning drinking alcohol or engaging in substance use, right? But when you do go out and, or when you're at home and you start drinking, you can't, you don't really stop. You go until you kind of black out, right? So, so that's also of concern. And that's something that I've been seeing too. The degree of which, the degree to which, but also what I'm hearing you say is really the intention, which, which I think is one thing that has changed because it was initially maybe socialization or like zoom happy hour. Right. But then it increasingly (laughs) became kind of quote, taking the edge off and the degree to which that's required to take the edge off, you know, determines kind of the, the intention in essence is, you know, removing the anxiety or the depression or, you know, taking away negative emotions in essence. Absolutely. And that becomes more difficult to treat when you get to that point, having a dual diagnosis, because you have to then treat the substance use and then the underlying depression, anxiety, whatever it might be that you're experiencing. Is there anything outside of these kind of common scenarios, anxiety, depression, substance use, these are like the common ones, right? That Mm. you've seen an uptick in that you think people should be aware of in terms of mental health diagnoses? Hmm, That's a good question. Well, I know we talked about anxiety in general, but I think I've seen a lot of social anxiety as well, which is its own kind of category. So not feeling confident engaging with others, lack of eye contact, feeling really nervous going out in public. There are two issues going on here. I think people have kind of forgotten how to practice being social with others. But I think there's another issue is where people are worried about the health portion of what can happen to my health if I interact with another human being. Which just validates the experience as in some degree warranted, or at least it was right, warranted to some degree. And we're still being told to exercise caution, of course. And so again, just normalizing it, right? But but to say that you're not alone in having these symptoms. It's warranted in terms of how it came to be. But if, again, it is interfering with quality of life, interfering in day-to-day affairs to a significant degree, then it needs to be addressed. Sure. Absolutely. You, you asked me about what other symptoms and disorders I've seen an uptick in, in addition to substance use eating disorders. Right. Right. Because that's another way of coping will people cope with their difficulties through eating so it can become comfort eating right start out as soothing and then it can quickly turn into binge eating 
So that's also something that I've seen. Angry. And also restrictive eating, right? People don't really, we've talked so much about weight gain during the pandemic, but I think people don't realize that overly restrictive dietary patterns are also a way of exercising control over uncertain situations. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I like the strategies you talked about, of course, not to replace therapy when needed or more acute interventions when needed. But I also know that you're very passionate about dietary and food strategies. We had a whole episode where we talked about food and mood as well. Tell me a little bit about what brought your interest or piqued your interest in food and mood. Was there personal experiences, patient experiences, or data that you think was really telling for you? Sure. So a little bit of each one, actually. So I'll start with the personal experiences, working, you know, one-on-one with patients. I noticed that sometimes people needed a little bit of extra boost or extra help when they were in therapy, right? So they were engaging in therapy, they were doing everything that they could, and they just need a little little bit more support. So I started to look into herbal remedies and actually remembered my childhood. So I am Middle Eastern. I grew up with a lot of saffron in my house. And I remember loving saffron chicken when I was very young. And I remember my grandma would always tell me, you know, take it easy, take it easy on the saffron rice, take it easy on the saffron chicken. And I, I didn't understand why she would tell me that. And I asked her one day and she told me, well, you're going to laugh a lot. And I was like, what is she talking about? How is this going to make me? (laughs) Right. I'm like, what is she talking about? I, I have no idea. Is this, is she joking? Is she being serious? And, and she told me, she said, no, saffron makes you happy. It makes you laugh. So that was when I was about eight years old. Fast forward, here I am in mental health. And honestly, I did the research and it's true. Saffron makes you happy. So I utilize that in my product. It's really interesting that the data around saffron that it actually beat Prozac in terms of antidepressant efficacy. Absolutely. And all of the research that I did, you know, looking at all of the journals, the articles, the clinical studies and trials that it's just as effective as antidepressants without the symptoms that people experience. So what, what I saw is that you need about 30 milligrams a day in order to achieve that effect. And that's what I put in my product. So you actually have uh, Vitamood is your company and you've actually created a supplement out of saffron. Yes. And not only does it have saffron, it also added uh, food boosting ingredients like vitamin D, B6, B12, zinc, magnesium, and folate. So they really complement each other and help to boost your mood. And it's just an, a natural way to, to achieve that effect. Yeah, that's wonderful. So yeah. in terms of in terms of dietary strategies, because B vitamins that you mentioned, including folate is very much predominant in like leafy green vegetables, right? So what kind of strategies or do you recommend food strategies to patients as well, in addition to supplementation? I have not personally recommended food strategies. I, I, I think that's your expertise. What I've been researching is the supplements, really. Yeah. Um, the, the, herb, the herbs, the vitamins, the blends that people can utilize and um you know, of course there, there are some individuals that need to see a psychiatrist and take the medication that they're prescribed, but then there are some that just might need a supplement or something, something more naturalistic that might be able to help them. I I really wanted to help that specific population that was looking for something extra, um, to give them a little bit of a oomph, a little bit of a boost, a little bit of, you know, 
something to, to add as an adjunct to the therapy. So where maybe just talk therapy or some of these strategies were not, were not as, were not completely helpful or there was still a gap, but not quite yet where pharmacotherapy or medications were necessarily indicated. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, so B vitamins, vitamin D, uh, saffron, is there any interesting research, other research that you saw in your own personal research of these vitamins and minerals that you think would be interesting for our listeners? Honestly, the saffron was the most interesting to me. I had no idea that you can compare it to an antidepressant, right? That's pretty strong for an herbal remedy to, to be able to utilize it and have the same effects that you would with an antidepressant. I, I mean, that blew me away to realize it is pretty powerful. It is pretty powerful. Well, I think um, this has been really helpful. I appreciate you being here. And I think the takeaway messages that kind of I have in mind, or I'm thinking of is really number one, normalizing the the symptoms and normalizing the experience. Anxiety is something that we already had a pretty high baseline of before the pandemic, but really exacerbated during the pandemic for obvious reasons. And that hasn't necessarily gone away. So encouraging people to seek out help for that, right? And to be mindful that there are other mental health concerns such as substance abuse or eating disorders, and they may not present in the classic ways that we think about, right? Like, and so what would be your final thoughts? Are there anything that you think that we should, that you would like for us to take away from, from your experiences? Um, Final thoughts would be go to therapy, talk to someone, get the help that you need or want. Like we were discussing, you don't have to have a diagnosis to go to therapy. You don't have to have a symptom to go to therapy, just wanting to improve your quality of life is enough. Um, So I would really say that therapy is for everyone and to encourage individuals to seek out support, whether it's group therapy, individual therapy, whatever type of therapy it is. Yeah. And support is definitely something that everyone can use an extra dose of these days. Right. Absolutely. Even, you know, going out and talking with friends, having a trust, a trusted friend, a trusted other that's helpful too. Obviously they're not a professional, but having someone there to, you know, support you through difficult times, through times of stress, through happy times, right? We need people to to lean on. We're social people. We're social beings. So that's really important. So if people want to learn more about Vitamood, where can, where can they learn more? Our website is www.vitamood.co. We also have an Instagram. Its handle is at your Vitamood. I also have my bottle here. If you want me to, to show it to your viewers, love to take a look the the audio podcast people won't be able to see it but it will be on youtube sure vitamood is our company and mood boost is the product and it's designed to support a positive mood and mindset oh you were asking me also about other research that i've done to put this together something really interesting that i came across and you probably know about this Dr. Adrian is the, with the B6 and the folate and the magnesium, a lot of times deficiencies cause mood imbalances. Right. So that's why I chose to include those. And and the good news is that the B vitamins are water soluble, so you can't really overdose on them. So it's something you could easily incorporate without any concern. That's amazing. Well, we will definitely link to the website as well as to the Instagram 
uh, in the show notes. And I really appreciate you taking your time. Dr. H is super duper pregnant right now. And she <laughs> availed herself to us despite all her responsibilities. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for having me. It was such a pleasure. So lovely being a part of your podcast. And I hope your viewers um, enjoyed all of the information. It was great information. Thank you.